From the sewage pipe on the quarantined Clavius base, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two men who would never shut down HAL 9000, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Oh, there we go. Lawrence of Arabia, David Lean, and Stanley Kubrick. And one reference, Corey. That was written by Lenny Timmons. Take a stress pill, Lenny. <laughs> Lenny, of course, uh, just provided us the Kubrick reference, and uh, it just happened to coincide on the week that we are going to talk about. I, look, it's not a spoiler. This is the week that the long-anticipated Big Mama Mambo Mega Lawrence of Arabia Blu-ray set is released. This the 50th anniversary. Epic. Epic. Wait, wait. Slap that thing uh, down. It's just <laughs> on the table, and it is. You want to put a frame around it. You really do. It is. Uh, look, we'll we'll talk about this in just a moment. But I I am going to say without any reservations whatsoever at the top of the show um, that we have a new standard as far as Blu-ray picture quality is concerned. The Lawrence of Arabia uh, Blu-ray is beyond compare. It trashes everything else that's ever been done. It is magnificent. It is simply the new standard in Blu-ray. Audio, we're going to have a little uh, a little thing to say about that later. I think there are some some potential issues with the audio, but we'll talk about that. Uh, but first off, uh, in just a, some general movie news, how about that Skyfall? Yes, not surprising. Right? You know what's funny is that um, you know it, it opened up overseas first. It made almost three hundred million dollars. Is overseas? I now, mean, it, it went through the roof overseas. It was already a, a, in profit by the time it opened here. You know, the last film that opened overseas first to that extent was Battleship, and the reason why Battleship opened overseas first is because they knew it would be a stinker domestically. It was poo, and the domestic box office take what little there would be would sour the milk for the. For the for the releases in the rest indeed, of the territories, indeed it would. But with Skyfall, yeah, different story. Different story. First, entirely. Of, all, first of all, James Bond is a British creation. Well, yeah, and and you know, there's a following for the Bond films overseas that is sufficient that you don't need to play that game where we're going to release it first in the United States and then we're going to get you know we're going to ramp up interest and then it'll be a real hype and expectations. You don't need that with the Bond series. Like, there's already the expectation. It's James Bond. Everybody knows the drill. So you don't need to play that game, which they always do with American films. And uh, they have reaped the benefits and a mighty bounty. Yeah, it's great. It's a great film. I really, Absolutely. really thoroughly, everybody knocked out of the park. Absolutely. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Mark, any other uh, news before we dive into Lawrence? Why do you always ask me that? I don't know. Maybe you heard something. You heard a rumor. Because, you know, Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez broke up. That is... That ruined my whole week. Could I say that? That ruined my whole week. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Yes. I've never heard of Justin Bieber's song in my life, and I'm not quite sure who Selena Gomez is. I, I mean, I, I've seen pictures of her. I think she's a, she was on a Disney show or and, something. And I, I, ha- really I have to share this. A friend of mine uh, on my on Facebook commented, and he can do this because he's a gay man. He said, uh, he goes, uh, wow, Justin, he looks like an athletic young lesbian. I just I thought that was one of the funniest things I've read all week. All right, wait, here's the thing. Yes. I, there is something I, I wanted to bring up with you. Yes. Now, you know how Django... Yes, D is silent. D is silent. Yeah. Now Tarantino coming out with his film sure. Django Unchained. Sure. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. I'm sure you're not. I uh, am. You know. You know what? It'll be fine. I mean, I know what to expect. Look, if you if you're familiar with the Jang the, the the Django films originally with all the Franco Nero stuff, Franco Nero has a little cameo. We know that from the trailer and the commercial. Uh, most people don't know who the hell that is when he goes D is silent. Oh yeah, okay, whatever. It's a cute line, but you know that's Franco Nero. He's saying that too at the bar. So ooh, reference inside Spaghetti Westerns. Well, here's Big the deal. I get it. I, I've seen them. I know the drill. I know how the movie's going to be. I, I know what to expect. Django on Blu-ray. Yes. I would like it. You would like it. Sure. Not available. I know. But hang on. Yes. Things are about to change. Okay. Now, there's an independent distributor yes. in Britain, Argent Films, and they are going to release Django on Blu-ray on January 21st. Now, I don't know what print they're working off of whether it's gonna you know be a print that is really worth a darn but the fact is also i'm not really sure what the where the transfer house is who Mm -hmm. the transfer monkey is have no idea this could be the worst print and the worst transfer in the world Mm, however yes however on january 21st there will be django on blu-ray all right and i am looking forward to that okay i am too because it's going to include a uh interview with franco nero not that Franco Nero is hard to find. 
No. Because we'll talk about the film at the drop of a hat. <laughs> uh, and also an introduction by Alex Cox, which is interesting. Which is, you know, Alex, oh boy, that's a subject for another show entirely. We'll have a special show dedicated to what happened to Alex Cox's career. I know. Let's dedicate a whole special show to that. Because um, we, could, we could fill an hour of that easily. You know what? It's funny. For every minute we spent talking about what happened to Alex Cox's career, yeah. we would lose 10 listeners. <laughs> and down it would go. All right. So, you know what? Here we go. We're going to talk about Lawrence. Now, first of all, there you, could, you can get this in the two-disc Blu-ray, which is lovely. Exactly the same two discs, the f- same movie disc, and the same extras disc that you get in the, in the big Mondo set. But the Mondo set also has a third disc with other extras on it, which includes the balcony scene. And uh, it also includes a, additional, uh, a CD with additional soundtrack music never before released. And um, a lot of other good stuff. But yeah. I want to say this. What? Go. Before we get into all the goodies, the transfer itself is just spectacular. It is an absolutely beautiful transfer. Now, you are the movie itself has all kinds of scenes where there's more grain. Like Mark and I were watching it a little bit before the show, and you know, for example, in the scene where um, Gassim is lost in the desert, right? He's fallen off of his camel because he, he was too tired, and Lawrence goes back to save him. When Gassim's walking across, it's a great shot. It's a wonderful shot of the sun just starting to rise. And later you get a kind of a close-up shot of the rising sun, very grainy, because it's a bright shot. You have to switch to a film stock that won't completely blow out. And, you know, you get a lot of noise, a lot of grain. So, I mean, yeah, there are moments where the, the actual grain of the film, even though it's 70 millimeter, you do still get some grain. You do still get a little bit of original film noise. But it's all inherited from the material. It's inherited from the elements. So uh, that being said... Just an absolutely spectacular transfer. They really went above and beyond. Um, everything you're supposed to do with a digital transfer and everything you're not supposed to do, they didn't do. So it, uh, it is meticulous. It is beautiful. It's the movie the way that it was meant to be seen. And uh, I, it, my only possible issue is with the audio, which is a little weird because you get Dolby 5.1 and DTS 5.1 uh, lossless. But it, um, on my system at least, it seemed to be a little tinny. Just a little bit tinny. Uh, well, we listened to it on my system. It seemed fine. Did it was it fine. It did seem fine. So it, it could be a matter of uh, doing some system adjustments or whatever. Um, but that's, a, that's me being super persnickety. Uh, so let's talk about what this set is like. I have to say, while you open that thing up, the, uh, you have to really hand it to, uh, you have to hand it to the studio because this movie had to set the tone in terms of Blu-ray transfers. It has this to. thing, this is the crown jewel of gorgeous, epic, it's seventy it. millimeter films. This is, if this was shanked, if they shanked this, they'd have, they'd, there'd, there'd be no shame. They're Sony. They invented Blu-ray. They have to say, you know what? The most precious film in our library is Lawrence of Arabia. It is. It is the the standard against which all movies are measured, against which all seventy millimeter photography is measured. If you can't show what digital can do with this movie then no one will trust digital. I mean, this was a chance to really, really showcase the technology. Yes, and they did. They knocked oh, out of the park. Did they ever. So here's what you get. It's a great big friggin' square box that will not fit on your shelf. It belongs with your coffee table books, not with your other Blu-rays. Get that straight. This is a coffee table Blu-ray set. That's where this belongs. It's a showpiece. Uh, you take off the little plastic sleeve that says 50th Anniversary Limited Edition Lawrence of Arabia. It's a little plastic sleeve. And the nice thing is, you know those, those um, leaves that are usually stuck onto the backs of special edition sets that have all the stuff that's in them? Yes. And they're usually stuck on with some kind of little, uh, little kind of rubberized, little rubberized glue, glue thing. Right. And you peel them off, and then you want to keep it, but you don't know where to put it because it's, now it's loose. Don't need to worry. It's all printed on the, on the, uh, the sleeve. So the plastic sleeve has all that stuff. So there you go. And then you have this beautiful cardboard kind of cardstock thing that's like a frame right it's a sleeve and the and you pull the sleeve off oh my gosh look how beautiful that is and the picture the artwork the lawrence of arabia artwork is part of a book and you pull on the little tab and look you got this special book mark tell the people about the book (laughs) actually the book is almost a coffee table book in itself that's what i'm saying this is for the coffee table now normally i would say it's about it's about the size of a record album but i I have a feeling that no one's going to know what a record album is so let's just say it's big. You mean like a phonograph? Like a phonograph. Beautiful color photography. Uh, there's, a, uh, there's an introductory essay by Steven Spielberg, who, of course, wants to attach himself to a classic movie. I mean, here's Every the thing. week. Every week he attaches himself to something new. <laughs> 
Next week it's Citizen Kane. The week after that it'll yep. be like you know the General and although who although who really would who okay who what other uh, filmmaker is qualified to put an introductory paragraph onto a Lawrence of Arabia Blu-ray like the definitive never to be released again on a home video format. Well, I'd say the Lawrence only Arabia. the only other person would be Martin Scorsese, but but he's actually on disc three. So Spielberg, they had to split. So one that of them, one of them gets to do one, the other one gets to do the other. <laughs> Seriously, it's hysterical. It's Spielberg and Scorsese. Both of them are always shoehorning themselves into everybody else's glory. It's like, isn't but it enough that you guys are famous on your own? Well, but here's the thing: Scorsese is a is a, a very important, well noted historian, scholar, preserver of film. He's does, he's earned that right. So this is a wonderful book. So it's got the book. And then it also has a little like a uh, seventy millimeter frame in a in a little piece of uh, plastic and and paper. You know, it's like a ooh a little special seventy limited edition seventy millimeter frame cutout. Fine, makes, you know, if, if that was like the original, like if that was like the original interpositive or like yeah. the original no, you know, from no, release print that that spooled at the Cinerama Dome in nineteen whatever. No, that'd be worth it. Or if it were like an outtake of uh, Peter O'Toole mooning the camera or something, which they accidentally <laughs> put there, that would be great. But it's not. And here's what you get. Um, on the on the two-disc set, you get the movie on disc one, uh, which includes a Secrets of Arabia picture and graphics track that you will absolutely never use. And this movie was restored in 4K, just pointing that out. Now, they actually – let me point this out. They, they did all the digital work in 8K and in 6K, and then they output it in 4K. So they can do whatever they want in the, with this in the future. They have, I mean, the, the detail work is beyond what you even can see. Because what we're seeing now in high def isn't even 4K. It's not even 2K. It's like, you know, 1.8K. But um, who knows, by the way, who knows what exhibition formats will be available. Exactly. They're ready. They're ready to go until the end of time. This has been, this is it. It's been done. Uh, disc 2 and disc 3, if you get the big set, or disc 2, if you just get the two-disc set, it's just more extras than you're ever going to know what to do with. You have to be as unbelievably erotically charged by this movie as I am to even appreciate all this stuff. Uh, tons of new and old featurette material, uh, promotion material, the original newsreels, and all that stuff. It's all absolutely fantastic. Um, Peter O'Toole revisits Lawrence of Arabia. Wonderful. The making of Lawrence of Arabia documentary is superlative. Absolutely fantastic. Um, Disc 2 includes a conversation with Steven Spielberg, whereas on Disc 3, you get the lure of the desert, Martin Scorsese on Lawrence of Arabia. That way they, they each get their own little, uh, little moment in the sun. Um, all kinds of stuff on the casting, on uh, the, the nation of Arabia itself, the land, um, the original uh, uh, 1970 making of a classic, uh, Wind, Sand, and Star, which is a fantastic thing. Uh, newsreel from the New York premiere, advertising material, King Hussein, the original King Hussein of Jordan, when, you know, the father of the current King Hussein, when he visited the set when they were I, shooting there. By the way, I love that song, Hussein in the Membrane. Yeah, totally, right? And then archival interviews with, are you ready for this? No. William Friedkin, Sidney Pollack, and Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg? Again. Yes, but William Friedkin and Sidney Pollack shoehorn themselves in here as well. I, I'm surprised that Michael Bay didn't figure out a way to kind of to attach himself. Well, you know, He's Lawrence, never heard of it. Lar- all the scenes in Transformers yeah. uh, that are sort of in the desert were inspired by Lawrence of Arabia. He's never, he's never seen Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, yeah, well, that, that's never stopped. Uh, what? Look, William Friedkin. What the fuck? What? William Friedkin. Well, you know, actually, there, actually, there, why? there are very few legacy directors I left. I guess, yeah. Anyway. Uh, look, it's absolutely brilliant, and the soundtrack CD has a couple of tracks that were never originally released on the score, so that is wonderful. My only gripe on this continues to be the fact that uh, it's a credit issue. To me, the uh, and I'm going to talk about the uh, deleted scene here in a second, which is a really big deal. Uh, I still have an issue that Michael Wilson, who did have his deserved credit restored, uh, because he was a blacklisted writer at the time, he did have his credit restored on, on Bridge in the River Kwai. Uh, I don't think Wilson deserves, and I have this argument with all kinds of people, like a lot of other Lawrence scholars, he does not deserve to have his name on this screenplay. This is a Robert Bolt screenplay through and through. And people are like, well, Michael Wilson did the first draft, and, and even though it was heavily influenced by his politics at the time, it was, you know, it, it, he gave the film the structure. No, the structure comes from The Seven Pillars of Wisdom, which Lawrence wrote. That's his book, which, by the way, is another shaft. When the Writers Guild pressed for Michael Wilson to get an undeserved credit restored on this film, they didn't press for what the only thing they should have pressed for was, which is to say, based on the writings of Lawrence of Arabia, or T.E. Lawrence. Now, was the story 
Now, the seven pillars of wisdom is that it's those are Lawrence's memoirs of the entire campaign in the desert. Well, then it should have been uh, he should have gotten and credit for it. I know. So Michael Wilson does not deserve credit. Lawrence does. And uh, shame on the Writers Guild. Shame on you guys for you know trying to shoehorn every blacklisted writer into a credit that they many in many cases don't deserve. I'm all for restoring deserved credits, but uh, just you know if oh my gosh, I heard that Michael Wilson might possibly have done a rewrite of the first five pages of uh, you know uh, Exodus. Let's go put his name on the movie. Come on, give me a break. <laughs> Wait up in arms. Not, not acceptable. So apart from that, here's also what you get on disc three if you get the big set. There is the balcony scene. Now, the balcony scene is a, is a bit of a big deal. And Ann V. Coates, the, uh, the editor of the film, she who's does— still look, alive. Who's still alive, by the way. She does Soderbergh films all the time. She's still working all, constantly. I mean, the woman is ageless. Uh, she did, like, Out of Sight and, you know, uh, Aaron Brockovich. I mean, she does not stop working. Um, Anvi Coates was a very young and uh, early nascent uh, uh, editor at the time of Lawrence of Arabia and really learning the ropes from David Lean, who started as an editor. And she does a little intro with the, the balcony scene, pointing out that this was always part of the director's cut, but they weren't able to restore the complete scene because the, the, the edited version used pieces of that scene. Now, if you, if you see the movie after Lawrence comes back to uh, Allenby and the blood soaks through on the back of his uniform and Allenby says, there's blood on your, on your uniform. Do you want to talk about it? You cut away and then you cut back and they're on the balcony and he's saying things like, you're the most extraordinary man I've ever, I've ever known. And he says, stop it. Well, that's a feeble thing to say. And then there's this little bit on the balcony. It's a much longer scene. The problem is all the stuff that had been cut out of that scene, they didn't have the dialogue tracks. Jack Hawkins. Now, Jack Hawkins is dead. So uh, this was a problem with a lot of the other scenes in the restoration, but they were able to call up at the time Alec Guinness and Peter O'Toole and uh, have them come in and loop, you know, re-record the lines that they needed to squeeze in on all the stuff that was being cut back in. So if you really pay attention very closely, you can go, okay, there's where old Alec Guinness meets new Alec Guinness and old, and you can kind of tell where the stuff was re-recorded. Um, but Jack Hawkins being dead, they went and hired a bunch of other actors who sort of sounded like Jack Hawkins to fill that in, but it didn't cut together well. It just never really sounded like Jack Hawkins. Because he has that voice that sort of sits in his throat. You know, it's just a unique voice. And, uh, but for the sake of sort of historicity, they include that entire scene with some of the added, the, 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 the guy doing the Jack Hawkins voice that give you the whole scene talk a little bit about Lawrence's poetry and you know it's much it's really an incredibly good scene and it's really unfortunate they weren't able to restore that whole scene because it would make an already perfect movie even more perfect but it is for anyone who's a real Lawrence of Arabia buff that is an amazing little it's like suddenly there's new stuff after all these decades you get new stuff and it's really exciting what's really exciting to me is that uh, I want our listeners to know this historicity is a real word yes it is yes it is thank you it is a term referring to the historical actuality of persons and events. You're making fun of my vocabulary. Oh, well, I, I, I thought that was like strategery. No. <laughs> I mean, come on, strategery. Oh, so anyway, we've got to get to other movies. It's been 18 minutes. We've only talked about one title. Mark, we've got to rock and roll. This will be the longest show we do, folks, oh my because gosh. we've got to roll. Get a roll. All right. Real quickly, uh, because it doesn't really warrant anything more than that, the Blu-ray DVD digital copy combo of uh, The Watch. Caution, ruder, cruder, and looter. Oh, you know what? Boy, who, who, who buys that? It's not rude, crude, or lewd to begin with. It's just not very good. This movie looked promising because it had Vince Vaughn and Ben Stiller and Jonah Hill and Richard Ayode. Now, Richard Ayode, by the way, is not just a British comic and very good actor. He's also an unbelievably good director. He directed the movie Submarine last year, which is freaking brilliant. One of my favorite films from last year. So if you look at that guy and go... Who is that guy with the, with the fro over there with the three actors that I recognize? He's, he's awesome. But the movie is not. It's just silly. It's about a – and this was originally called Neighborhood Watch. And then after uh, – what's his face down there in – In Florida, that's Florida, right. Florida, that whole shooting that, thing. That's right. He was a Neighborhood Watch captain. They flipped out over at 20th Century Fox and changed the title to The Watch. Basically, he's a bunch of Neighborhood Watch guys who uh, take on aliens. Whatever. I, you know what? This it's is just, just a, terrible. It's a terrible movie. It, it, you know, why take on aliens? Like, what does that have to do with any? You know what? Nothing. That you know, it's just one of those like weird corporate boardroom decisions that's not I, made based on creativity. I was just talking to a friend today who pitches a lot to the studios, and it's funny because he pitched. Well, he actually went in on a meeting on a on a project that another friend of ours, yours and mine, also went and took a meeting on, and that I have now heard from both of them. 
as to what insanity was actually is surrounding that project from this particular studio. I will tell you afterwards because I'll, I'll get us all in trouble if I mention really? it on the show. It's unbelievable. This is two people who took a meeting on the same project to write it and both walked out with the same impression, which was they have no idea what they're, think- what they're doing. This on, is, this- on, on the watch? No, not the oh, watch. A different, a different project. project but just same the, studio. The, 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 um, no, not the same studio. But a, but it's it just they could not believe. All the studios have the same problem. They're development departments. They're all insane. They're, they're out of their minds. So anyway, moving on. Uh, that's the watch. It's got a bunch of extras on it. It's just it's useless. Not really worth paying attention to. I can't believe I wasted this much time on it. Go. All right. Uh, Brave is uh, the latest Pixar film. And uh, Brave is uh, was the first Pixar film to feature a uh, girl, a woman, as the protagonist, which is fantastic. It was also sort of the first Pixar film directed by a woman, and I noticed on the Blu-ray there is a co-director credit, Mark Andrews and Brenda Chapman. Now, actually, Brenda Chapman got fired uh, a bit of the way through the film and was replaced by Mark Andrews. And it's really sad because she was, at the time, and is still with her remaining credit on this, the first ever woman to direct an animated film in Hollywood. I mean, that's a big deal. It is a huge deal. Yeah. And uh, But the funny part is that the movie's not very good. And I'll, I'll, I had heard bad things about the movie going in. And I'm watching this film. And the first 20 minutes, maybe 25 minutes, delightful. I'm like, why are people saying bad things about this movie? It is just delightful. This is terrific. Slam dunk. And then something happens in the course of the film yeah. that I will not give away. But when it happens... The movie takes a turn that is completely anti-ethical to whatever came before it and where we thought the story was going. Yeah. And then the movie becomes this other thing, which is way less interesting and much more conventional than the way we thought it was going. Which is sad. Which is sad. It's how I felt about Up, to be honest. I, I feel like... Up is it, kind of the same way. I yeah. agree. I kind of agree with that. Yeah. And, uh, and, so, uh, it's, you know, look, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's never, un- it's never not enjoyable. Uh, but it gets increasingly more conventional and ultimately disappointing. So even though it's got great visuals and a nice message for the girls and whatnot, uh, I just think this was kind of a misfire. I, I don't know why they... This, I don't know why the story took the turn it did, but it did not help the overall work, and uh, that's why I'm disappointed. Uh, as a Blu-ray transfer is, of course, basically perfect. Uh, this is five discs. There is the Blu-ray, Blu-ray bonus, DVD with mm-hmm. some bonus features, a digital copy, and the Blu-ray 3D. So there is, uh, there is five Blu-rays or five discs in here, of which one you'll, o- you'll only use. The, only, the yeah. only one you'll ever use is going to be the Blu-ray. I know. That's I it. Know. The, the other four are useless. It's, it's madness what's going on in the manufacturing line with these things. And that is brave. And in tandem with that, we also now from Dixie, Disney Pixar have Pixar Short Films Collection 2. Volume. These are great. Pixar Short Films are... Just terrific. This is Volume 2, uh, Blu-ray and DVD combo from uh, Disney. And uh, I got to tell you, I mean, Pixar short films are just consistently, it's the best work they do. They Even really, when the movies are yes. disappointing, the shorts are just amazing. Now, does this one include, uh, yes, I think it does, the one that preceded Brave. I think the one that preceded Brave is the one with the girl who goes to the moon and she's sweeping up the stars. La Luna. Yes. Yes, that's it's on delightful. here. It's absolutely wonderful. Yep. Also included in here is the one that preceded uh, Toy Story 3, which is uh, Day and Night, which I also think is wonderful because uh, it's kind of a, yes. a retro 60s throwback. Yes. Very, very a, cool. A departure for them. Total departure for them. they made it, it work. They made it work because it doesn't look like a CG. It looks like you know traditional uh, 2D animation. It was done 3D with 3D tools, but it has that look of uh, you know like an old... Like like a, like one of those cool um, you know Gerald McBoing Boing type things from the '60s. I mean, it has a really cool look to it. Also on here is my favorite ever Pixar short. You know what it is, Mark? Uh, Fritz the Cat. Presto. Yeah, that was a good one. Oh too. my gosh! You know the magician with mm-hmm. the with the rabbit who They're comes all, out of the hat yes. and drives him yep. crazy. Yep. That is that is classic. I mean, that is almost like Warner Brothers cartoon classic. Presto is just absolutely outstanding. Uh, also on here, uh, Doug Special Mission, Mission uh, George and AJ. Hawaiian Vacation, uh, what else is on here? Small Fry, um, uh, Burn E, uh, Partly Cloudy. It's just, it, Partly Cloudy was really good, by the way, too. You remember Partly Cloudy? They're all, yeah, yeah, oh, they're all Partly good. Partly Cloudy's so good. They're all great. They're all just yep. absolutely fantastic. So that is just an absolute must own. Uh, don't bother with the Brave, but definitely get that. Um, you know, we have something interesting here. This is worth seeing, even though it's a, a weird psychotropic throwback to 70s uh, science fiction. 
that makes absolutely no sense. Stylistically, it's really interesting, and I and I really want to give the guy the, the benefit of the doubt. Beyond the Black Rainbow is a movie we talked about uh, briefly, I think, some months ago. It's just this weird, trippy-looking thing, directed by... Um, uh, written and directed by, actually, I should say, Panos Cosmatos, who is George Pan Cosmatos' son. Now, George Cosmatos, who, of course, did, you know, Rambo, Rambo and, the, yeah. and lots of other really stupid uh, action movies. His son, Panos, is a, a pretty talented guy, and he really has this grasp, this bizarre grasp of how to make things look uh, just referentially cool and retro. I mean, this sort of belongs to uh, some somewhere between, like, Clockwork Orange and Soylent Green... And uh, it's that whole kind of a scene. It's really, really bizarre. It is. It's it's tough to tell you exactly what it's about. It's a it's a it's a captivity narrative. Uh, it's almost a little bit like I guess if Stanley Kubrick had done a remake of of the Saw films with the uh, style of two thousand and one uh, mixed with uh, Soylent Green, it would kind of be this movie, if that makes sense. Anyway, it is a real throwback. It is really cool. It is not all that accessible. Uh, it's it's just very, very weird and interior, but it's really well done. And uh, I think Cosmatos, if people can get past the fact that this film is very difficult to access and kind of stylistic overkill, I think he's, he's, uh, he, he's worth giving some interesting work to, really. I want to see what he does with somebody else's script and different material. I think he could be, he could be really a, an interesting guy. I will look out for that. But uh, yep. moving on. We have on Blu-ray and DVD and digital copy uh, the 10th anniversary special edition of My Big Fat Greek Wedding. And this uh, film, uh, you know, it, it obviously it had its moment. It's lovable and it's uh, nice for its moment. I don't know that I want to revisit it again. Uh, what's interesting about the film and the reason why it was such a there was such buzz here in town about it is because this was actually figured out. Mm-hmm. It is one of the most profitable films of all time. Yep. Get this. Return on investment yeah. in terms of how much it costs to produce versus how much it made. There is a 6,150% return on investment. No kidding. In this film. 6,150% no return on investment. The movie costs about $5 million and it made about $375 million. Jeez. So it is one of the most profitable, profitable films of all time. It was a phenomenon. It launched the career of Nia Vardalos, who of course has done nothing with it. And, uh, you know... It, it, you, and the thing with Big Fat Greek Wedding, which has nothing to do with the quality of the film, is that you realize that the studio at the time claimed they had lost money on this. Oh, of course they did. Yes. It's the rolling break even. They, yes. It's creative accounting. But there is no way that you can make a movie for $5 million, have it make three seventy-five, and then it loses money. Oh, yeah, there is. I mean, even if you – yeah, well, yes. <laughs> you you, you want to see how that spreadsheet works? It's really – it's pretty easy actually. You you just keep tweaking the numbers until it until the the little total number goes red. But there and is, then, the, and then but that's what you sub, sub that's what you uh, uh, see. I could to all the accountants see, and all, I, the, all the IRS. Yeah. I could see that if it's a five million dollar budget and the movie makes fifty million dollars, maybe there's a thing we don't know. <laughs> when you make three hundred seventy five million dollars on your film that costs five, there is absolutely no matter how many points you gave away. You no, there is you, nothing. You, you there's have, no way you have to pay back all of those marketing expenses. And I mean, never mind the fact that all the marketing people that you owe all that money to are actually employed by the studio, and that the studio is basically paying itself back. That under on an accounting level, that's a loss. It is unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, the, the the producers wind up suing Gold Circle Films. I know, I know. That's how it goes. Uh, Battlefield America is just a stupid movie. Uh, this is from the uh, the guy and the people who brought us. You got served, and um, this is just dumb. It's a lot of kids like doing kind of urban dancing and break dancing, and it's just it, it's it's kids and dancing, and it doesn't make it's just really shameless. All of it, if you want to see kids just really rock and twist and pop and do all that kind of junk, fine. But it, it's just it's not a good movie. It really is unfortunate. Uh, written and directed by Christopher Stokes, who should be aiming for better stuff. The performances are not good. The kids are kind of cute, and they are talented. I'm not gonna not gonna tell you anything else. But uh, you know, honestly, I just I guess if you love dance movies and if if all, if it's all about the dancing and if it's all about just in reveling in the fact that these are kids going through the roof and just doing things that kids really shouldn't do, fine. But do not expect a story. Do not expect acting. It just 
it doesn't deliver on that level. It's a, it's a problem. Uh, this is a Blu-ray and DVD combo pack from uh, Arc Entertainment, who uh, does a lot of uh, a lot of stuff these days. We've been talking uh, frequently about a lot of stuff from Arc, and the transfer is solid. The audio is good. Uh, DTS is is really really very sharp and very crisp and very rich, and very house. Right, it's very it's very pumping. Is that is that the right terminology? I, uh, you know what, you're asking the wrong it's, guy. It's pumping. You're asking the wrong Jew. <laughs> but anyway, so you know, it is what it is. It's 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 kind of how a lot of martial arts movies too are. You you you, you watch them for the activity, not for the story. You know, uh, Wade, uh, you and I are big fans of uh, the old Amy Heckerling film Clueless. Oh yeah. Well, that's not that's not out on uh, Blu-ray new this week. However, we do have finally, after like, you know, 15 years, Heckerling and Alicia Silverstone, they wound up reuniting for a film called Vamps, and Vamps is now out on Blu-ray. Now, you're probably thinking, ah, you know, it's Alicia Silverstone, what happened to her? You know, it's kind of not happening. Well, here's the thing. It was written and directed by Heckerling, and Amy Heckerling, if there's one thing about her, she is very good at kind of having her finger on the pulse of what a young audience cares about and is thinking about. I don't mean like in a John Hughes way. I mean kind of like in a yeah. in kind of a poppy, superficial way, but sure. it's still legitimate. And Vamps is actually not so bad, I have to say. Um, it's got a good cast. The humor is very kind of contemporary and true and now. Um, it's even a little bit poignant, believe it or not. And so, uh, yes, it's all about vampires and zombies and whatnot, and it is a comedy. But still, I think that... There's even though ultimately maybe the movie isn't that great and never really deserved much of a theatrical uh, release, uh, it's there's still good stuff going on here in Vamps. If you want to check out a comedy that might be a little bit different, and this is not one of those like Wayne's Brothers, you know, style Vamp satires. It's kind of somewhere in the middle, uh, but it's really not bad. Vamps is not bad. Amy Heckerling, who directed, of course, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, also uh, she deserves to have a better career than she's had in the last 15 years. But um, in lieu of that, we have Vamps. Not bad. All right. I thought it would be worse. We've got a bunch of uh, AFM specials here. The American film market just recently ended, and Mark and I used to talk a lot about AFM specials. We haven't done so in quite a while. I love AFM. My favorite, (laughs) I think I say this every year, my favorite issue of The Hollywood Reporter is the the AFM special because that's when you do two things. Mm -hmm. One is you realize how many horrible films your favorite stars actually appear in, but a lot of them go straight to uh, Blu-ray or DVD, especially nowadays. And the other is just how many just films are out there. It's horrible, horrible films. It's depressing. If you think... You know, how many films open up in your neighborhood? You know, whatever, like five a week, seven yeah. a week, whatever it is. Th- times 10, there's a film coming out somewhere that most likely sucks. Yep, true. And they're all for sale at AFM. Well, here are three films that are, I would say, on the top tier of what we would call AFM specials. Um, usually the stuff over there, it's, just, it's like trauma stuff. It's, you know, kickboxers and strippers and strippers and zombies and zombies and kickboxers, and it's just, there's no end to it. Um, we've got Steven Seagal, who has finally fallen down to the AFM level. He's finally relegated him. He's like, you know what, this is where I belong. Good, congratulations. Steven Seagal and Steve Austin, the wrestler, in Maximum Conviction. Don't you love how they come up with these names? It's never like uh, Steven Seagal and Steve Austin in uh, Daisies for Your Grandmother. I, you know what? They, no. It's like they, here's the thing. I, you know what? I, I think the same thing about uh, cable news shows. <laughs> you know, whenever like there's a new cable news show like on CNN, yeah. they always try to think of that like electric contemporary now title for it. Yeah. You know, I don't know what, I don't know what, what they call it. It's Deadline. Yeah. With right. Aaron Burnett. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, in the know. Like, they always try to come up with, like, some, like, like news cliche to make sure. their shows seem like. Yeah. It's the same thing with these action films. Yeah. Max- maximum bullet. Maximum conviction. Velocity insanity. I love it. It's maximum conviction. And the, the tagline is maximum security, maximum firepower. Uh, essentially, this is just a lot of shooting in a prison. Uh, there's some special forces guys who have to go mano a mano with a bunch of uh, terrorists and mercenaries who are trying to uh, extract some high-security prisoners uh, from this prison. So it's a, it's a lot of firepower in a prison. Eh, whatever. 
Um, you get some behind-the-scenes stuff and some promo interview stuff from the EPK. It's on uh, Blu-ray and DVD combo pack. It's just a lot of AFM shooting and blowing stuff up, and they cut their corners pretty well. It looks like a more expensive movie than it really is, but uh, it's not very good. Then Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who almost had a real career transitioning from his amazing cameo on TV's Grey's Anatomy for a few episodes uh, to a, a what was supposed to be a role in the uh, the, the superhero film, the uh, what the the, the thing. You know, Star Wars? No, no, the one where every the the Zack Snyder thing with the oh, Watchmen. The Watchmen, yeah, he was <laughs> he was supposed to be a big deal in the Watchmen, and that didn't pan out. So anyway, now he's doing straight to video stuff and trying to pull his way out of that. This is called the Courier. I kind of like him. That that, he, that guy could be like he's great. Yeah, I like him. I, I like him a lot. I, I'm I like surprised him a lot. he never he's, went anywhere. Well, I he, look, I could see him doing. All of those like George Clooney type, th- not to sure. use his hands with George Clooney, but all those like George Clooney type thriller movies. Absolutely, like the Peacemaker and and uh, what's what what's some other crappy George Clooney thriller, whatever. I yeah. can see him doing a lot of those. Yeah. A-list, well, big star is, thrillers. He can probably still get there. He's very good in this. The movie's not very good, but he's good in it. The Courier with Josie Ho, Till Schweiger, who does a lot of these things as well. He's you know always the German guy. Till Schweiger's like the new Dolph Lundgren. And uh, Mickey Rourke, who always seems to show up in pretty much anything that'll give him a paycheck. And this is from Academy Award-winning director Hani Abu Assad. I don't know why they keep... I, I have never figured out what Hani Abu Assad won his Oscar for, but he... I guarantee it was probably short film. It, I, it's, it, it's always short film. Like he, he probably is, won it like, you know, he probably won like some student Oscar yeah. like 35 years ago. Well, all he, all he does is schlock now. Uh, anyway, this... Miguel Ferrer is in this too, by the way. Miguel Ferrer is terrific. I always love Miguel Ferrer all the way back to RoboCop, right? Yeah. He's just the best. He's the best. Anyway, and traffic uh, too. Je- yeah, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. He's supposed to deliver a, su- a briefcase. It's just a job. It's just a courier job, and uh, supposed to get paid a million bucks. And uh, otherwise, we're gonna we're gonna kill your family. But of course, all hell breaks loose, and you know, as it naturally does, because you never know what's in the briefcase, and something very problematic. It's a Blu-ray. It's well done. Uh, not a good movie, but Jeffrey Dean Morgan is good in it. Then we've also got The Barons with uh, Stephen Moyer and Mia Kirshner. And this is just silly, but it's a DVD Blu-ray combo pack uh, for a horror movie of this type. This is from Anchor Bay, who, you know, when they do horror, they, Anchor Bay does a pretty good job of it. Uh, the, the idea here is that there's some kind of a demon from hell known as the Jersey Devil. And I always thought that was one of the, one of the cast members from Jersey Shore. Turns out it's not, actually. Uh, the people from Jersey Shore are worse than the Jersey Devil. There, there is nobody worse than the cast of Jersey That's Shore. That's true. Anyway, a bunch of people go camping in the Barrens, an area don't, a wooded area known as the Barrens, and uh, turns out this this Jersey Devil thing has been lurking there for a long time. People isolated woods, evil demon. It writes itself, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's a bit, it's a pitch that makes sense, doesn't it? It's just, uh, it's a fantastic thing. And uh, then we also have a weird little. This is a this is a, a peculiar film that I uh, I quite I don't quite know how to I don't know how to sort of address this. It's called La Pastorella, the Shepherd's Tale. Now I this is I am I am a big fan of Luis Valdez. I think Luis Valdez is a very very talented filmmaker. Um, you know he did La Bamba and he did uh, Ser, uh, Selena. You know, I mean, he's a, he's yeah, a, what happened to that guy? He's a really, really... I mean, La Bamba's a great movie. Um, well, you know, the, he, this was done for PBS, and it's this weird musical kind of... It's like this Hispanic musical thing about the journey of the shepherds to see Jesus in Jerusalem, and it's very odd. And it's got this whole kind of um, mythical, you know, Latin American take on it and it i you know maybe if if you're if you're like mexican or costa rican or something uh, you kind of can vibe to this aesthetic i just don't get it it's just very odd and i don't know what to make of it i really don't uh this was done in 1991 this is the first time on dvd that should tell you something right there and uh you know it's got a lot of names in it i mean it's got linda ronstadt and uh cheech and and uh paul rudd Cheech Marin, you know, Cheech, Cheech and Chong, sure. yeah, and uh, Paul Rodriguez. I mean, it's, you know, music and songs performed by Los Lobos, but it's just odd. It's really odd. I mean, I would cover it at Christmas time, but I'm not sure that that really is going to fit in with all of our Christmas coverage because it's just so freaking odd. Wait, I, I can't believe in your AFM coverage you, you did not talk about Iron Sky. Well, because Iron Sky is, like, better than AFM. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's really, it's it's a little, it's not really pure AFM. It's not a, well, carry on. Iron Sky is a, uh, it's a wild, this thing was like a, 
weird like German Australian Finnish co-production. Yeah, I know. And it takes place during World War Two, and as it turns out, there was the Nazis had a secret space program, <laughs> and some of the Nazis escaped to the dark side of the moon. It, it, seriously, this is you laugh, <laughs> but it's this funny. Is, this is a Come true on. story. This really happened. And it's been 70 years, and now they've been living on the dark side of the moon. Now they're going to come back and, like, destroy the Earth or something? (laughs) Come on, that's funny. Come on. Seriously, that's funny. Uh, That's awesome. That's just great. uh, The thing is that the movie kind of made a lot of money. It did. And there was a bunch of spinoffs. There's, like, Iron Sky, Bad Moon Rising, and it's like an Iron Sky comic book, and there's a video game, and there's Iron Sky Invasion, and Mm. this is the original Iron Sky. It's so funny. I mean, this movie isn't very good, but come on, it's funny. It's really funny. How 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 can you not love the idea of the the Nazis escaping to the dark side of the moon? I don't know. Uh, It's It's too too funny. funny. It is funny. Uh, Okay, okay, that's okay. Look, here's the thing: this movie sucks, but (laughs) it's just too damn funny. Come on, dark side of the moon, Nazis. Awesome. What's it called again? Iron Sky. Iron Sky. Come on. Iron Sky. Dark Side of the Moon. Uh, they're out of the business is going to appeal to maybe 40 or 50, maybe 55 people out there because it's a sequel to a movie that nobody saw, but a movie that I actually think is pretty funny. Um, Eric Schaefer, who went on to do a, a number of kind of quasi-Woody Allen uh, semi-auteur indie films, he and uh, his writing-directing partner at the time, Donald Lardner Ward, who is a nephew of Ring Lardner, I think. I think he's, I forget exactly how. Anyway, he's, he's, sister. he's, he's related sister. to Ring Lardner. Sister. Uh, they made a movie called My Life's and Turnaround, which is about a couple of uh, kind of goofy schmoes who decide to make a movie, even though they have no idea what they're doing. They know nothing about making movies. It's, got a, it's, it's really quite a, a, a funny, clever little movie. Made for no money back in 93. And uh, I had only just started reviewing films. I was only like about two years into my career as a film uh, critic. And I actually interviewed them at the time. And it was, it was quite entertaining. Uh, lovely guys. Well, they've now made a sequel uh, almost 20 years later called They're Out of the Business. And is it as good as the original? No, not really. But it, it, uh, it is, if you were looking for something to kind of be a capper on that previous film and sort of revisit those characters, there is a nostalgia to it. But again, I don't know how many people are actually going to care about a sequel to a movie that nobody saw in the first place. Okay, wait. Here's, I'm going to yes. talk about Dust Up. Okay. Now, while I talk about Dust Up, but I could talk about this this thing too. Oh, you want to do this? He's do one the of my all-time yeah, yeah, yeah. favorite directors. Do it. Do it. Um, I'm going to have you uh, eat my new uh, my, oh, my, my new creation. By all means. Now, I'll say this quickly because I know that some listeners don't like this, but I'm yeah. going to say it anyway. Go ahead. So, I bought this uh, 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 this uh, cookbook, this book, bakery book, by Thomas Keller, who runs a very famous bakery in New York called Bouchon. Now, uh, Thomas Keller is one of the tops in the world. Bouchon is a great bakery. Although yes. I will say that another bakery in New York, Bully Bakery, you know Bully Bakery? Uh, Bully Base? No, no, Bully Bakery. No, Bully. do not know. Bully it. Bakery. Best croissants in the – best uh, pan au chocolat, chocolate croissants in the world. Better than any that I've ever had in Paris. Really? I kid you not. Wow. Best that I've ever had. I will be in New York soon. I'll Amazing. have to do that. Yep. Okay, so uh, this is a pretty advanced book. And okay. as you know, I'm not quite the most advanced baker ever, although I'm trying. Okay. So I bought this book. It was 50 bucks. This, this Bouchon book – of Thomas Keller recipes, fifty dollars. All right, I bought it. Okay, open the thing up. Turns out, half the recipes you got to go to some like specialty market in like in in in, in Wisconsin to buy like you know whatever like uh, you know vanilla paste or something. And I can't do all that. I'm, that's not going to happen. So I found the easiest recipe that I could make, and I made it. These are. These are uh, uh, cherry chocolate scones, Wade. Cherry chocolate yes. scones. So this is a cherry chocolate scone. Now it does look very sconish. Okay. It looks like a big. Hit me. It looks like a big ball, but that's how it's supposed to be. Um, now while you, it yes. looks like something that came out of an animal's butt. <laughs> I'll be sure to tell Thomas Keller you said that. Just and, one, but, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It looks and, like if I were walking down, you know, a dirt road or something, and I saw this in the middle, I wouldn't actually ever th- imagine that it was edible. Okay. So, yeah. uh, okay. Here's the thing. You'd better like it too, because I have like 12 of these, <laughs> and I'm going to New York in a few days uh, for the weekend. And you're gonna uh, poison your family. Uh, no, I'm going to give them to you because I don't want to oh, keep them in the house. Okay. Because I'm going to be gone for a few days. Anyway, Dust Up is a uh, kind of a not very good film. It's it should have been a lot more fun than it is because obviously it's uh, you know it's tries to be a lot of fun it's kind of like this billy jack film about this about this one-eyed iraq war vet yeah i like these 
I like do. this. I do. Okay. Well done. Thank you very much. It, it's no longer anything that came out of an animal's butt. <laughs> it's actually quite good. Maybe if I saw this in the road, I would actually pick it up and eat it. Really? Okay. I might. Well, I might. Good, because you're but getting... don't. But don't test me on that. Okay. Good, because you're, you're 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 taking home three of them. Okay. Um. All right. It's about a one-eyed Iraqi war vet, and he lives in a trailer, and he gets in a bunch of trouble with this meth-addicted uh, guy, and the it's just it's just a messianic drug dealer, and it's one of those like total like genre mashups. It wants to be like a Billy Jack type movie that was like weird and a little grotesque, like it's John Waters, but it's really totally gonzo and horrific. Like it was directed by like Rob Zombie. It's like, it's all over the place and all over the place is fine. But I just think this movie just, it's, it's all over the place. And this wasn't focused enough. Um, so that's Dust Up. It came out earlier this year. It's uh, really not very good, and it's on uh, DVD, not Blu-ray. Nice. Still, I would, I would pass. Now, we talked about Otto Preminger. Uh, I think last well, something came out last week. We talked about Otto Preminger. He is um, one of my favorite directors. What I like about Preminger is that, he, is that pretty much a lot of the films he did really pushed the envelope. I mean, this is, he sort of started to come of age in terms of his career around the end of the production code era in fact you could say that films like the moon is blue and whatnot helped sort of push the production code out and uh, you know anatomy of a murder was one of the first films if not the first film to sort of bring up rape in a courtroom setting and that was great so good laura is one of the classic you know noir films and uh so it's good stuff yeah so what we have now is we have uh a blu-ray and a blu-ray i wish it was blu-ray a DVD collection called the Otto Preminger Collection. Now, we always worry about these collections because it's almost like, you know, movies that couldn't sell otherwise. And yeah. uh, they just what do we it... What do we have lying around? Oh, look, three of them are Otto Preminger movies. <laughs> Let's just package that as the Otto Preminger Collection. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's usually the way they think, but that's not the case here. Uh, that's true. You know what? Look, one is uh, Hurry Sundown, yep. which is uh, it's, it's good. It's a drama set in the South. And, uh, you know, it, Hurry Sundown is a film that, you know, Preminger purposely made to try to kind of break down racial taboos because, again, it does take place in the South. And uh, that's not bad. Skidoo is another film that is in this collection. And uh, Skidoo is good, too. It's my least favorite. It's kind of like it's supposed to be like a hip 60s comedy. And I don't know that uh, Otto Preminger is really who I go to when I think of comedies, although it does have Jackie Gleason in it. And finally, we have Such Good Friends, uh, which to me is kind of in the middle of the pack in terms of this lot. Um, Not my favorites. Such Good Friends was from 1971, kind of one of the later films in his career. And, um, you know, it's another comedy drama. And, uh, you know, it's it's not bad. So anyway, Hurry Sundown, very good. Very it's it's the one that's most Otto Preminger-ish. Because it tries to break down taboos. Skidoo is a comedy that, again, Preminger, not my favorite comedy director. And Such Good Friends is okay. With, it's with Diane Cannon and James Coco. So uh, if I were you, I would only check this out if you love Otto Preminger. Yeah. Otherwise, who, Anatomy who, of who, Murder who, and Laura and whatever much are much oh, better. Oh, Anatomy of Murder. Oh, I used to love this. I love this movie. I, 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 oh, I'm this not, thing is awesome. I'm going <laughs> to let you go off on that in a moment. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go through a few indies here real quickly. Uh, these are some indies. I remember. Wait a minute. <laughs> I remember. I still remember the scene when Charles didn't Charles Durning play the uh, uh, didn't Charles Durning play the president in this? Dude, let, let me just get these indies going. You're, you're getting way off course. Awesome. <laughs> all right, go go, go talk about. What, okay, what Salvation about. Boulevard is a little indie that does not work at all, uh, but it's got a great cast. Uh, Pierce Brosnan p- plays this pastor who has certain indiscretions. Uh, Greg Kinnear, Mark's best friend of all time, is a follower, married to, to Jennifer Connelly, also a follower, who discovers these indiscretions, and it uh, kind of pushes him into the arms of this wacky, like, Grateful Dead chick uh, played by Marissa Tomei. Um, this is supposed to be a satire about, uh, you know, organized religion or at least kind of televangelist level organized religion based on a, a book by Larry Beinhart. Uh, it doesn't really work. It, it's well-meaning, but gee whiz, it just doesn't come together. It's all a script problem, a little bit of a directing problem. George Ratliff, who directed it, is actually a good director, but it just um, is somehow it does not come together. Uh, Ratliff wrote the uh, script with Doug Max Stone, and it just... It, it, it Too many cooks in the kitchen, I guess, probably. Uh, Crazy Eyes. I've kind of been trying to figure out whether or not I really like Crazy Eyes. It's, it's decently done, uh, directed by a guy named Adam Sherman, who also co-wrote it. And um, 
it's one of those indies that I tend to describe as a navel-gazing pity party. They love these at film festivals because they're all about teen angst and youth angst and how miserable the world is and everybody drinks and takes drugs and gets depressed and they have existential crises and they're all kind of the same. Um, in this one, it, uh, Lucas Haas, who has become one of those actors in these kinds of movies, is, uh, you know, he's a, he's a Hollywood actor who sort of got everything, but he's got an empty life and he parties too much. And, Sounds like me. And he's got, and he's trying to become a better, you know, sort of trying to become a better father to the daughter that he he fathered from his uh, ex-wife. And then there's this girl he nicknames Crazy Eyes, who it just drives him crazy, uh, hence the name Crazy Eyes. And uh, it's about sort of whether or not she's going to be able to, you know, play a part in him becoming a better man. It's a lot of angst. Um, not much more. It, it, jury's kind of out on it. I, I don't like it, but I certainly respect parts of it. Uh, Wes Bentley. In Hirokin, The Last Samurai. This is a stupid movie. It, and I mention this only because poor Wes Bentley. He, he was almost Spider-Man. You know that? I know. He almost was. This is what it comes down to. When Tobey Maguire was selected over Wes Bentley, all of that luster that he had from American Beauty, gone out the window. And now he makes movies like... When he was at Hunger Games, though. Yeah. It was a bit but, of a uh, yeah, but, I mean, he was like an eighth from, banana on that Yeah, but like cast. ten years later. Well, sure. you know, other, other than that, he's making movies like Hirokin, The Last Samurai, which is just, it's stupid. This is a science fiction film about a post-apocalyptic uh, hero who's actually a samurai. It makes awesome. No, it makes no sense at all. But uh, if you're a Wes Bentley fan, give it a, give it a little look. Um, also, how careers can go south. Dustin Lance Black, who wrote uh, uh, the Oscar-winning screenplay for, Mark? Uh, for uh, Milk. Yes, uh, Dustin Lance Black wrote the Oscar-winning screenplay for Milk and then went on to write a terrible screenplay for Clint Eastwood's... J. Edgar yes. Washington. No, J- yeah, whatever. For, for J. Edgar. Anyway, he made his uh, writing-directing debut on a film called Virginia, which is kind of him getting his demons out. It's all about his uh, dysfunctional family upbringing. And uh, Ed Harris plays uh, this, you know, kind of kind of crazy sheriff, and uh, Jennifer Connelly is I don't know. You, you, look, Jennifer Connelly again, uh, Ed Harris again, um, the, the, both of them in. Um, I, I should have mentioned this. Ed Harris was in Salvation Boulevard. See, I didn't mention that. Well, you see, Wade, you, you know what? You're dropping the ball. I know. Anyway, it was, anyway. The, it was the deliciousness see, of I, my scones. It was. You you got me off track. Anyway, That's right. They were they're both in Salvation Boulevard, both also here. So anyway, Dustin Lance Black turns out not such a great writer director, unless he kind of gets off of his own issues. Um, and then uh, Turn Me On, Damn It is a little indie about uh, girls coming of age. Not exactly girls that you would want to have as daughters. It's very terrifying for anybody who uh, might have a uh, young daughter on the on the verge of teen. Years, this will scare the daylights out of you because this is uh, a little bit too explicit and a little bit unhinged. But uh, you know what? This won an award at the Tribeck uh, Film Festival uh, for screenplay. And, uh, you know, it's uh, out from New Yorker Video, the resurgent New Yorker Video. So I'm glad that New Yorker is back. I don't know that I can really recommend the film. It's sort of terrifying, but uh, not as terrifying as Kids. So the Larry Clark film Kids. That so is pretty I will, terrifying. I will, yeah. So I'll, I'll kind of make it a semi recommendation. Wade. Yes, sir. We have to talk about Twilight's Last Gleaming. Yep. This thing's awesome. <laughs> I had no idea you were such a fan. I, really I, I just remember seeing it. I was like one or something. Yeah. It's from 1977. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it, it, it's, I didn't it, even realize it, it how holds, t- I'm surprised at well, how well it, it holds. It does. Up. Yeah. It totally does. Look, it was Robert Aldrich. And, you know, he, he uses a, a lot of split screen, which, mm-hmm. you know, at the time was kind of unusual. But, uh, you know, there's two major threads going on in the film at the same time, and split screen was kind of unusual, at least to that extent and for that purpose. And Aldrich did it, and it totally works. And you know, the movie is like, it's 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 almost like a, imagine like Daniel Ellsworth and the Pentagon Papers, like yeah. gone like nuclear. Because mm-hmm. here you get Burt Lancaster, he's this like renegade general, and he takes over this missile base, and blackmails the president into revealing secrets of Vietnam, of the Vietnam War. And it's almost like, imagine if like Daniel Ellsberg took a machine gun, busted into a missile silo in Montana, and demanded that the president release the Pentagon Papers or he's going to start World War III. I hear you. That's this movie. Yep. And you know what? I, I, and and uh, Charles Durning plays the president. 
It's cool. It's so awesome. I hear you. I still remember that. I, I have a vision of the long. It's like a long shot. Like it was, it was taken from like a, a mile away, and like the president is dejected. His head is down. He's been through hell, and he just walks across this frame, this long lens frame. Mm-hmm. It was so sad. Poor Charles Durning. He's the president. Yep. Anyway, Twilight's Last Gleaming. <laughs> this is good stuff. Come on, get it. Uh, come on. It's great. It's got a making of documentary. It's awesome. <laughs> All right, we're gonna uh, Mark. We're gonna we're gonna revisit Otto Preminger again right now. We are. We, you thought we were done with Otto Preminger. We actually have a couple of Twilight Time releases. We love it when Twilight Time comes out with new movies. Twilight Time is one of those companies that licenses uh, titles from the studios that they otherwise would do nothing with. So, in Olive being another one, we have to be grateful for them. And uh, Twilight Time has a couple of great ones right here. Now, their stuff is only available at ScreenArchives.com. You're not going to find it on Amazon or anywhere else. ScreenArchives, plural, dot com. Can I find it on Amazon? No. And they only have 3,000 units available. So if you want it, go. Get it quickly. Can I go to to Amazon and get it? No. Got to go to ScreenArchives.com. The the Preminger film actually here is Bonjour Tristesse, which means uh, Hello Sadness. And, uh, this is a good movie. This is a great movie. Great movie. A lot of people actually think this is uh, Preminger's very best film. I wouldn't necessarily agree. I think there are some better ones, but it's an awfully, awfully good one. And one of the best performances you will ever, ever see from David Niven, because it's so, like, not characteristic. Um, it, it, this is based on a novel by Françoise Sagan uh, that stars Gene Seberg as this uh, young teenage girl who uh, just... It, kind of just wrecks her dad's love life frankly that's that's all there is to it and david niven and uh, is the dad and deborah carr is in it and it's just got an amazing backdrop beautifully shot in france the cinematography is stunning absolutely stunning one of those beautifully made films and the uh, the blu-ray is a dazzler twilight time does not pull punches on this they got this from columbia and uh, Columbia, given what you know, Sony did with Lawrence of Arabia, they should be grateful that the uh, that Twilight Time did such a great job with this, because otherwise, the Columbia reputation might be sullied. Not at all. This is just tremendous. Saul uh, Bass titles too. Yeah, really. Well, as as Preminger often did. So uh, this is a great, great movie. I, I cannot speak more highly of it. The Reigns of Ranchipur uh, is the other one. Probably a little bit less well-known, directed by uh, Jean Negulescu or Jean Negulescu. Uh, this also is a, a, has a very high-profile cast. Lana Turner, Richard Burton, and Fred McMurray. How about that? Huh? Mark? Yeah, how about that? How about, that? how about them apples? Lana Turner, Richard Burton, and Fred McMurray. Just a wonderfully made period film uh, from 1955 based on the Lewis Bromfield novel that was previously made into The Rains Came in 1939. And this is just, you know, fantastic, sweeping period melodrama uh, set in India. It doesn't really look like India, to be honest. Uh, like all the films from the 1950s, it still looks like a back lot. But it's, uh, it's, just a, it's just really great stuff. It's just, you know, Fred McMurray pulls out all the stops, and Richard Burton is just big and larger than life, and Lana Turner is wonderful and lovable. And the emotions just completely overwhelm you. And the music, just the Hugo Friedhofer music, which you can listen to as an isolated track like you can on all of these Twilight Time releases. It just it explodes. And if you just want uh, exotic Hollywood filmmaking from the 1950s to just drip all over you, you cannot do better. The transfer is fantastic. Beautiful Technicolor uh, transfer onto Blu-ray from Twilight Time. Bravo. Could not hope for better. You, Wade. Absolutely. You better believe it. Uh, you want to do this film noir thing? Yeah, do the film noir thing. You know, film noir is uh, is just awesome. Dark, you know, just uh, crazy shadows thrown like you know, fifty feet in the air, and innocent men who might be guilty. It turns out, and the dames who love them. Absolutely, and the, the bullets and the oh, I love that stuff. I do too. Now, there's a lot of film noir on uh, Blu-ray and DVD already. So the uh, film noir collection from the good folks at Olive Films. Only really worth it if you're getting uh, the good stuff. Are you getting the good stuff? Kind of. All of these are basically fine. Some I like more than others. Um, there's four four Blu-rays here. Now, Blu-ray is nice. They're doing this on Blu-ray, which is unusual because usually these collections are not on Blu-ray. They're on DVD. We have Union Station, which is uh, good. It's a good film. It's got a good cast. William Holden's in it. Barry Fitzgerald's in it. Uh, that's a good one. Um, I really like Dark City. Dark City's got a great cast. Charlton Heston, Ed Begley, Jack Webb. Harry, Jack Webb and Harry Morgan are in this. I like the story of Dark City. Uh, I thought it was like it's got those kind of noir complications that I always like. Appointment with Danger 
is pretty good too. That's with Alan Ladd. And uh, the one I like the least, although it does have a great cast, is Rope of Sand with Burt Lancaster and uh, Claude Rains. But, uh, and also Paul uh, Hunreed from uh, Casablanca. But this is, um, these, none of these are bad films. Obviously, there are better noir films out there. But if you've seen all those or you already have all those on Blu-ray already and you want to kind of uh, veg out, maybe you've uh, maybe, maybe got the day off, sure. maybe you're nursing a cold, you want to pop some movies in. The Film Noir Collection, Volume 1 from Olive Films, is a good place to start. Union Station, Appointment with Danger, my favorite of the lot, Dark City, and my least favorite of the lot, Rope of Sand. Uh, yeah. Check them out. Good stuff. All right, and we're going to wrap the show up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow through a whole bunch of classic movies right here, Mark. i got a whole ton here, mostly from VCI, one of them from the um, Eclipse series from Criterion. The Eclipse release is Eclipse... I can't believe we're up to 36. This just blows my mind. Three wicked melodramas from Gainsborough Pictures. This is Eclipse Series 36. And uh, here's what you get. You get The Man in Grey, Madonna of the Seven Moons, and The Wicked Lady. I know what you're asking yourself. What are What's Gainsborough Pictures, and what are these movies, and why should I care? Here's why. Um, British movies... Uh, Gainsborough Pictures is one of those... You know, we, we also hear about The Archers and Rank, which I'm going to talk about again in a second. Uh, in the 1940s, Gainsborough Pictures was um, very particularly focused on costume melodramas. And uh, we haven't, we're not terribly familiar with a lot of them here, but they pioneered the performances and the stardom of a number of major actors. And number one of them is James Mason in The Man in Grey. This was the movie that turned him into basically someone to be reckoned with James Mason. With that voice that everyone likes to do badly. Don't make me do it. Don't do make it. me do Go the ahead. name. Go ahead. Do it. Do James Mason. Okay. Do it. Come on. on. Do Everybody it. just calm down. Okay. I know you hate when I do this. Yeah. But Wade said I can say, this is James Mason. We can do it dueling James Mason. You are not Joe Pendleton. That's great. So, uh, anyway, this is historically very significant. Really three interesting films. I don't know how many films Gainsborough Pictures made altogether, but I love that Eclipse did that, that they kind of pulled that out of their hat. Uh, we also, from VCI, VCI has a, a whole series of films here that are worth uh, making a quick mention of. The Nostalgia Film Factory series. This is Nostalgia Film Factory Presents. These are all bargain-priced classics. They've all been released before from public domain houses, but you can trust VCI a whole lot more than the others. They always get better elements and do better transfers. These include Edward G. Robinson. And by the way, all of these come with cartoons, short subjects, uh, newsreels, you know, so you have a full old school, old fashioned night at the movies. So they, that's what they're trying to recreate. And these Nostalgia Factory films include Scarlet Street with Edgar G. Robinson, the very funny uh, Inspector General with Danny Kaye, which is out there in like a million different releases, Most Dangerous Game, uh, which is out in even more releases, Joel McRae and Fay Ray. Uh, I mean, you can't get more familiar than that. Three Came Home with Claudette Colbert, uh, which is, you know, anything with Claudette Colbert is lovely. The original Star is Born, Frederick March and Janet Gaynor. Uh, and uh, the unbelievably hysterically funny My Favorite Brunette, Bob Hope and Dorothy L'Amour. All of these with short subjects, uh, cartoons, newsreels, really, really fun. VCI has also released The Fighting Sullivans. Now, this has been out in a number of different public domain releases as well. This, I have to say, probably the best one I've seen. This is the story of uh, the basically the movie that they claim inspired uh, Saving Private Ryan. Uh, but this is about five brothers who all died in World War II. I mean, it's so horribly tragic. And uh, they died, basically. This is, their, this is what prompted the fact that nobody then would allow siblings to fight in the same units together. They started separating them up. They were all on the same ship. Just absolutely horrible. And uh, then a bunch of stuff from the Rank Collection, which is an ongoing effort that they have over at VCI with Rank Films in, uh, in the UK. All those classic Rank Films that were just uh, you know, so legendary in the 30s, 40s, 50s. Um, this includes Caravan with uh, Stuart Granger, uh, who is just so young here. I'm accustomed to Stuart Granger with, you know, gray hair. This is not that Stuart Granger. Uh, this is a great melodrama in Caravan. Then we also have In the Devil's Garden. Uh, in the Devil's Garden is a little more recent rank film from 1971. It doesn't have the same classic veneer as all the others, but it's still part of the library. And uh, if you're a rank completist, probably worth checking out. That's from uh, 1971. It's kind of a cheesy horror film. Uh, Stuart Granger again also shows up in Woman Hater, which is a pretty great romantic comedy, and he's pretty great in it. I'm surprised. This is from 1948. I'm not. I'm not sure why he didn't sort of uh, do more comedy. 
why he wasn't wackier, why he was also sort of the uh, the, the stiff upper crust Englishman and sort of so so stern and all of his stuff. This is really pretty great screwball comedy stuff. Uh, Rome Express with uh, Joan Barry, Donald Calthrop, Conrad Veidt, the great Conrad Veidt. Uh, this is from uh, 1933 and um, not quite on par with uh, Hitchcock's British films from the same era, but definitely inspired by them and certainly aspires to be like them. And uh, this is this is worth checking out. I would say Rome Express, it, it's sort of in there with the, uh, like somewhere between Alfred Hitchcock and Agatha Christie. Anything, you know, late, uh, Lady Vanishes and uh, Murder on the Orient Express. It's kind of caught somewhere between those two. And then lastly, uh, what I think is one of the most underrated rank films ever made, Flame Over India, also known as The Northwest Frontier. Uh, this is a sensational film, a great performance by Lauren Bacall and a great performance by Herbert Lom. Beautifully, beautifully photographed in Cinemascope. I don't know why this isn't on Blu-ray. We've got to get this on Blu-ray. I, I've got to encourage the people at BCI to put this on Blu-ray because it would just rock. This is a sensational widescreen epic um, set in the uh, in the days of the British Raj in uh, in India. Wonderful melodrama with uh, Lauren Bacall as uh, the American governess uh, to the five-year-old child of the British governor. Really just a, a wonderful adventure set on location. Looks a whole lot better as far as the, uh, the Indian backdrop. Uh, this, is, this is really shot in India. This is really shot in India. So wonderful films from the Rank Library there. VCI is doing a great job. Got to applaud them for that. And with that, Mark, we are done. We do not have a date yet for our uh, holiday gift show. We're just trying to assemble the last bits of uh, titles that will comprise yet another spectacular holiday Christmas and Hanukkah and Kwanzaa gift show. <laughs> It'll be pod podtacular. Podtacular, absolutely. I just coined a phrase. That's a wonderful phrase. I'm going to call up uh, uh, the Webster's dictionary Webster's. and have put it in. Up, calling up Webster's tomorrow morning, putting it right in my calendar. You make that happen. 